Welcome to the Space Beyond Scarce podcast. I'm your host, life and business coach, Kate Hawley. I work with entrepreneurs and creative change makers who value depth, impact, and purpose. Many of my clients are like me. They dream of creating prosperity through the value they provide, but they also want equity for others and sustainability for our planet. The scarcity mindset of our culture tells us that this dream isn't possible, that we are not enough, that we don't have enough, that there is not enough for everyone, and that's just the nature of reality. But really, it's just the nature of predatory capitalism. I'm glad you're here because we are going to prove that sad story false and make better meaning to build our future with. Here we go. So I'm here today with my friend Karen Burley. Karen is a certified Enneagram teacher, a life coach, and a paradigm shifter who supports socially conscious deep feelers in shaping their lives to honor their wholeness and impact the collective. Welcome, Karen. Thanks for having me. Today, Karen and I talked about doing something that I think is a little bit different than our normal format because it's a little bit more teaching and information oriented, but I think it's going to be really fun and not super scripted. So we're going to see where we get with this today. Um, So because Karen is an Enneagram teacher and expert, we were actually going to go through the different Enneagram types and learn a little bit about how scarcity mindset might show up depending on your Enneagram type. But before we get into that, I imagine there's a couple of things we should establish in the beginning. So one of them is what the heck is the Enneagram? And I know that's a question you probably have received many, many times, Karen. And so do you have kind of like a short version of if people have not heard of that or they really don't know what the Enneagram is? Yeah, yeah, thanks. So the Enneagram is a framework for starting to understand our lens on the world. And so um, it basically describes our autopilot settings Um, which can grow out of our temperament and then our life experience, but they get shaped into these categories that can be described by the Enneagram. So it really helps us see what, where we get reactive and what we do when we're not paying close attention. Mm, Great. And I know that the Enneagram is, it's nine types, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, it's a really rich teaching that comes from, um, a lot of different traditions and the the modern Enneagram in the 70s was mapped into more psychological structures and combined with more of the neuroscience that we know about today. So it's a framework, it's a symbol. Enneagram literally means nine-sided figure and that it's a Mm. shape that has like a circle and a triangle and then this funny hexad figure. Um, So all of those pieces have significance that we probably won't get much into today. Um, But what most people know about it is the nine core points around the symbol um, get correlated to these nine personality types. Okay, great. That's super helpful. And we're going to kind of go through the nine types a little bit today with like, yeah, understanding that we can't possibly get into the rich complexity of the Enneagram, but that's why maybe following Karen's work will be helpful to everybody down at the end of this episode. We'll tell you how to do that. Um, Okay, so before we get started with that, I always like to ask people in the beginning, 
because this is a show about scarcity mindset and because that's a phrase that can have, I think, a lot of different meanings for different people. What does that mean? What does scarcity mindset mean to you or how does that uh, resonate for you? Yeah, I'm biased because I've been listening to your podcast (laughs) and learning so much and taking in other people's thoughts. And I do think that this kind of too, this not enoughness element or sometimes too much, like an overwhelm when it comes to Mm -hmm. things that I'm, that I don't want or that I, uh, or, or not enough of the things that I do want to be able to access within myself. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that not enough can almost be the same as too much. And I actually have a whole episode kind of half scripted somewhere around that subject, which I think is maybe we'll touch on that when we get through the Enneagram, because as you know, I'm an Enneagram type four. And in part of the Enneagram type four presentation, at least for me, is that I always want to be unique and special and the only one doing something. And so one of my old scarcity stories is like there's already too many people doing that thing for me to be able to do it which is exactly the same as a scarcity story even though instead of saying there's not enough I'm saying there's too much because what it really feels like is there isn't enough room in the world for me or something like that right yeah yeah and that touches on this like sense of personal significance if we're overwhelmed by the amount of other things going on in the world or we start to note whether we're thinking about it explicitly or not, there's this implication that we don't have importance or significance. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, I'm excited to kind of get into all of the types and see how this goes. Um, So I guess, should we just get started with, uh, I assume we'll start with the first type? Yeah, we can go one to nine. That's that's one way to do it. I've done it a bunch of ways, so I'm still, still feeling it out. But I think, especially for newbies, we'll just start with point one. Um, Yeah, so type one on the Enneagram is often called the perfectionist or the reformer. Um, And they are really concerned with getting things right and doing a good job and being good. So their attention focuses on all the ways things are wrong, all the mistakes that are being made. And that, like all the types, we can see it um, kind of in the world at large. We can see it in other people around us, or we can see it in ourselves. And ultimately the work invites us to see it in ourselves so that we can find those resources that we like to talk about so that we can shift some of the ways that the scarcity is playing out. So for type one, um, they feel a scarcity of goodness, a scarcity of sacredness Mm. and a, a scarcity of what's right. So they might look around the world and see that. They might have this sense that there just isn't enough goodness. Um, and then they might judge others, that their people are not behaving correctly, things aren't being done the right way, systems are not set up appropriately. Um, and then that inner critic is really loud for our type one, who thinks, I always have to be good, I can never be bad, I always have to be right, I can never be wrong. And so mm-hmm. it gets into this split, which is at the core of each type. There's kind of a split here. Um, and then that focus on on the scarcity. And then I want to talk for each type about the resource that is inherent to each type that, that we could name. And for type... Mm, I love it. Yeah, for type one, it's the sense of integrity. So there's this resource point in the one that they're very connected to, whether they're really healthy and can kind of notice their patterns and not 
um, give in to them or they're really deep in their patterns and they're judging everything as right and wrong, there's still this essential quality, the Enneagram calls it, of integrity, which is this desire to have wholeness and this this quality that things are inherently whole. Yeah. It's funny. I, this is probably just going to happen as you go through the types. I'm going to be like, wait a minute, maybe that's my type. Because, of course, as you're saying, they're all kind of archetypes that we could find a part of ourselves that resonates with each one of them. Um, but I really resonate with the way that you described type one. Like I know for me, it often shows up in the feeling of like, I'm not doing enough, right? Because there's so many things that are broken or just not quite how they feel like they should be, or they feel just like off in the world. And so there's this sense of like, I should be doing something about all the things, right? And so does does that um, feel accurate in terms of that being kind of a type one challenge? Absolutely, yeah. So, so a sense of discipline is usually inherent in ones, especially toward these things that they really see there needs to be more being done about this. So that might be like working on yourself, but it might be working on projects in the world. And you kind of living at point, point four, there's a connection, there are lines around the Enneagram. And um, mm. point one is a is a major resource point for the point four personality. So it makes sense that you're also oh. seeing a lot of goodness for yourself in, in that point. Yeah, for sure. I know like the word integrity has always resonated with me and is one of my kind of core values. And there is something about, there's the wholeness of it, but there's also the challenge of, of slipping into that kind of judgmental behavior you're talking about, where it's like, if something isn't in integrity, which a lot of things are not, um, then it's it's easy to start feeling like there's a brokenness instead of a wholeness. So I, I appreciate that you highlight that as like, that's a resource we can always lean towards. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's an invitation like to welcome all the parts of the whole and then notice, you know, this habit of attention for the one is on error and mistakes and what's wrong. And because that's so habitual, we can and we need to invite in like what here is already whole? What here is already enough? How am I already enough? And coming at things from a place of wholeness, we get worried. And I think a lot of us get um, conditioned to believe, well, if I slack on my discipline, then I'll never do anything and I'll just become a total hedonist and just like mm. only do things that are, are self-satisfying um, or something. And that's not my experience. That's not really the case when we have a respect and a, a real love for the inherent wholeness. We're often propelled to do more of what we're really called to do and support the ongoing unfoldment of, of integrity for the one. Yeah. Should we talk about the type two? Yeah. So type twos are often called the giver or the helper, which can be a bit of a misnomer, uh, but they are really oriented around being attentive to needs and especially emotional needs of others. So twos are really attuned and aware of what people are feeling and what they're needing. And their default response is to act on that and to meet those needs and to be responsive, sometimes to the point of hyper-responsivity or hyper-responsibility, and also very much to the neglect of their own needs. So they start thinking, I have to be generous, I have to be loving, I have to be helpful, otherwise I'm not worthy of love. Or, And, and they can kind of put themselves below other people, thinking other people's needs are more important. But also they do this tricky thing 
um, that we call pride, which is that they believe they don't have needs. They're actually like angels on earth, like above need. (laughs) And they see Mm. all the needs in others and all the needs in the world, but they have a hard time seeing the neediness within themselves, which is a thing that we all have as as humans. We, We have needs and those are not bad but for a two they that their split is around i need to be helpful and responsive i can never be needy and and dependent so they can see themselves as really independent people and and can be but they um have a lot of stock in how others are seeing them how um how much appreciation they're receiving back that's not always why they're giving but they can fall into that and there can definitely be um like a manipulation to try to be the one to meet the needs Hmm. oh that's really interesting okay so yeah tell us about their scarcity mindset how that shows up yeah so um i think there can be a few different ways like never feeling like you're doing enough um again that is similar to the type one but this is more relational so more explicitly relational so i'm um i and going to that more. I need to be more of a generous partner. I need to be a better friend. I need to be more attentive, more attuned. Um, I need to give all the time. And the scarcity here is like a sense of worthiness of just being loved, whether you give or don't give. There can Mm. be this kind of hole that the twos feel when they don't have that sense of approval. And so they're going around making sure that their image at at the very least is that of being a really kind person. Yeah, I could see how it sounds like there's a bit of like the martyr kind of rescuer complex there where the challenge with that is that when we think we can rescue people, we will never be able to because that's not even a thing you can do. (laughs) Like you can't actually take responsibility for what isn't yours. And so and I know this from my own kind of learnings in the past, how like you'll always feel deficient if you're if you think that you're capable of rescuing someone through your generosity and care because you're not trusting that they actually are resourced to do it. Absolutely. And so I come from uh, the field of social work and there's a lot many twos and also just many generous givers in that space. And it's so, so common to think like I if I don't do it. If uh, I don't love this person harder, then they're not going Mm -hmm. to get better. And while there's a resource that we'll talk about in a moment in that, it can be distorted just like all of these pieces into like, I have to be the one to do it. And then this pride is tricky because it represses your own needs and then tells you, well, I don't really have needs, they have needs. I always think of the meme like, I'm not crying, you're crying. And it's this way of projecting onto others. So for twos, they say, if you're seeing needs everywhere, like it's not Mm -hmm. that those aren't real, but check yourself because there's probably something going on there where you're seeing it as so such a big deal that you have to attend to immediately because there's something within yourself that maybe you could attend to. And then then you could have more spaciousness for that true generosity that spills over when we've already attended to our own needs. Mm, it's so good. It is, this is making me realize that, you know, of course, beyond the scope of like your natural Enneagram type, there's also like culturally conditioned types and life experiences. And the one that's coming to my mind right now is motherhood and how like I don't I think there's plenty of mothers who aren't necessarily type two Enneagrams, but who received 
a version of cultural conditioning and pressure that said like this is what being a mother is is like being having no needs and constantly attending to other people's needs and so sometimes that becomes a mental habit through motherhood even if that's not what you want to be doing right absolutely and and just for you kate the the type two is the other point that four is connected to as well so we're mm. off the bat strong in your world but absolutely they say a lot of a lot of women or people socialized um as women can mistype as type two because that kind of gets into the collective consciousness of, of you should be really friendly and warm and nurture your relationships and that's the most important thing and don't take too much for yourself and just keep giving keep giving mm-hmm. keep giving so it's a it's um and can be a cultural overlay also if you have a parent who is really dominant in a certain type you might take that into yourself a little bit more so as you do more self-observation which is really what this tool is best used for you can start to pull apart where are those messages coming from and then how much of that is kind of a stronger pull for me I, I certainly I don't lead with type 2 but I have a lot of 2 in me as well and can start to see yeah, I follow that train often, but my core one, ooh, it's I'm swimming in it day in, day out, all the time. <laughs> um, mm. So it's certainly, yeah, yeah, women especially can feel that way, that sense like I'm helpful, I'm, I'm worthy right. because I'm helping. And the higher quality here is, is in that vein as well. It's, we talk about it as love, <laughs> which is a hard oh, thing wow. to describe, but um, it's this quality of presence and and this ability to recognize that things things you know kind of more um spiritually right we're we're all made up of love and this idea and Mm -hmm. people's needs get met and people's relationships evolve and you don't have to decide you are the one who needs and i am the one who gives because then you're stuck in this role when you can start to embrace that there's kind of a flow of love that doesn't you know it certainly does come through us personally often but it doesn't have to uh, be because you're drumming up all this energy thinking about all your relationships and having to give constantly Mm. yeah Mm, i love it and just that that love is a it, it goes in both directions, like we give it, but we also need to direct it towards ourselves in addition, of course, to receiving it. But that self-love is, you know, looks like getting our own needs met as much as we would want to support others. And we can't actually, you know, until we recognize that the scarcity within us is hard to receive. So for twos, it can be really, really difficult to receive. I don't know if you watch uh, Queer Eye. Um, I've seen it. I think I haven't seen the new season, but I've seen a few episodes of the last one. Well, I'm watching the new season and there's this woman we just watched who takes in all these animals who have a ton of high need like situations. And she also has a child um, who's on the autism spectrum. And she also brings in children with higher needs to meet these animals. And she's got like over 170 animals and just this, this, uh, I've, imagine she is a two and this extreme power of the heart to just keep loving keep loving keep loving and then you saw in this episode when they deliver love to her or even just give her some moments to herself it's really hard at first for her to receive that at all Mm -hmm. because it feels like no I have to keep giving before I can receive but then we never 
quite get there, which is what happens when we're stuck in scarcity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's really interesting. Yeah, so on to type three. Type three has a lot of names, actually. They get called the performer or the achiever. I like the motivator as one of them. And these folks are really concerned with getting things done and they are very attentive to tasks and accomplishments and tend to be uh, able to determine what other people expect of them very easily and then adapt themselves to become that. And so they tend to be really successful in whatever they put their themselves to because they have this quality of being able to adapt themselves so much so that they can lose contact with what they actually feel and what is actually exciting or interesting to them because they like the culturally conditioned or familially conditioned approval that comes with all the accomplishments. So as you can imagine, our culture is largely a three-ish culture in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, and they can have a lot of scarcity because we're playing out this pattern trying to get something that is this, the teaching of the Enneagram is it's already here and yet mm -hmm. we're not really able to receive it so we're pushing and pushing and pushing trying to get more and more and more but we the resource is recognizing it's already here so threes can feel a scarcity around success like I'm not successful enough or I need more money or more praise or more achievement. They also have a lot of stock in their sense of efficiency and effectiveness. So often mm -hmm. it's like, how could this be more efficient? How could I be more efficient? How could I get this thing that ever it takes everybody years to do? I want to do it in six months, right? Um, so they're kind of constantly pushing to be efficient and effective, which can come in really handy and they often enjoy many fruits of that until they realize that they're not actually in touch with their own inherent value just by being. Hmm. That makes me think of one of my lifelong scarcity mantras. I, maybe it's not lifelong. I don't know when it started, but at some point I developed a little scarcity mantra that now I'm just conscious of it. So I still have it, but I live in that like, okay, I hear that part of myself, but you can, I'm not going to pay that much attention, but it's I didn't get enough done today, right? And it's always there, like every single day. And I'm sure part of it, as you mentioned, it's like the bigger culture. It's like the capitalist conditioning that you didn't, of course, you didn't get enough done today. You should always have been more efficient, more productive, et cetera. But would you say that that's also kind of a type three challenge? Yeah. And there's this real bootstrap quality, like here, like, player, I did it. So can you. And and it actually comes from this scarcity within the, the three archetype, which is, I'm, I'm a piece of crap, kind of like I am valueless. So I have to work, hustle and work harder and prove myself to show that I'm worthy of anything. And then there's kind of this, when you think of it that way, you can have compassion for the people who are like, well, if I did it, you can do it because they're actually undervaluing their inherent gifts and abilities and even just their ability to kind of be a chameleon and anticipate what is expected of them and be able to adapt themselves to that is something that we're not all wired to do so well. So they can 
look at people and what they truly want is for everybody to reach their potential and to shine and to be able to show their brilliance they're really drawn to that like glow and shine and i have my partner is this type and it's beautiful like he looks at me and sees so much potential and really sees how i could blossom and and grow and do all of these things it can feel also like pressure and they feel huge amounts of internal pressure like we were talking about to keep performing Mm. and keep topping it and keep finding the next thing where they can develop more of themselves and shine brighter and brighter and brighter and yet they're not recognizing like just the the value of who they are as a person whether they have achieved anything or not Mm. okay well Gosh, Karen, I'm starting to think I'm all the types. <laughs> we'll find out because um, we're about to do four, which is the type that I think when I read my first book on the Enneagram many years ago, I was like, that's my type. And so it'll be interesting to see if it still resonates. Yeah. Well, the three is your next door neighbor and there's triads all over the Enneagram. So there's lots of connection. Um, every point has things yeah. in common with every other point. But yeah, my my guess would be you might have a three wing. So, so far, first four mm-hmm. are going to be like Kate all over. <laughs> So you're on track. Um, (laughs) But yeah, that that just that resource again is the value, the sense of inherent value and the fact that like even if you're not um, excelling in your field, that the people around you value you, that you have just inherent worth as a person. Okay, let's see how this hits for you, Kate, (laughs) with the type four. Yeah. The type four is often called the individualist or sometimes they get called the romantic or the tragic romantic <laughs> and we're in the emotion center here or the heart center so these last two when we're talking about value this is kind of extending across the two three and four and and creating this image of value so for the type four they're really concerned with being creative with originality like you were talking about with being unique as well and having a sense of intimacy with things and I know you talk so often about depth and that's actually the the resource here is the deepening mm. of each individual um, almost molecule in the universe like has a depth to it and fours are really drawn to that and they want to see what's what's deeper here what can I make contact with and find intimacy with Um, Unfortunately, the scarcity here is really difficult for the type four and there's this deep sense of inadequacy. And you might think like the one we talked about kind of feels defective and so does the four. This four has has a sense that like, I'm not worthy, I'm kind of worthless until I'm fully expressed. So they find Mm. all sorts of ways to be authentically expressed and they can attach to various identities throughout life. They'll try things on, but really feel like this is me. If I can just do this full out all the time and I do it in my way and I'm unique and original, then I'll feel, you know, like my authentic self and I'll have depth. And until then there's this real scarcity and this fear of, and it's very existential. Um, there's this real existential dread of like, what if I'm somehow cut off? What if I'm disconnected from the whole and everyone else has this sense of like intimacy and I'm just like boring and mundane and totally inadequate? Oh, yeah, that's like a big fear. It's just the fear of mediocrity or the fear <laughs> that you might just be like really vanilla 
real basic as they say these days. Um, yeah, and that I love when I was hearing you talk about that, that almost part of the scarcity story is it's not authentic enough or it's not deep enough. And it's true, like for me, because I am so drawn to depth, I have recently been trying to reconcile that superficiality or like shallowness is actually in my shadow now. It's in the shadow for me where I've pushed it into like wrongness instead of embracing that like depth and you know shallowness are just two parts of the same thing and you can have a whole relationship with them where you don't have to be so scared of like you know like I I'm gonna admit something Karen I am watching the new sex in the city it's not very good but like it was one of those shows I watched in my 20s that I just have this old relationship to so I'm like I'm gonna watch this like kind of cringy embarrassing new sex in the city even though it's like really shallow and it represents a part of myself that I don't like advertise but now I am because it's on my podcast but (laughs) but that's me like trying to reconcile with like yeah I oftentimes really enjoy pretty basic pop culture and then there's that like little voice that's like you're not you know that's not your identity right yeah totally and I love that you bring up the shadow because this split that we're talking about is what keeps us stuck and keeps us repeating patterns and repeating these scarcity thoughts and beliefs over and over again and actually keeps us in them because the more we try to push something down and only do one part of ourselves it it's gonna first of all it's gonna leak out (laughs) because it's still there Mm -hmm. and second of all then we don't get to embrace more of who we truly are because who we truly are is all of these things and so much more and all these emergent properties that come up when we embrace ourselves and that's the true teaching is how do I how do I hold both this thing that I automatically idolize and and put on a pedestal and the things that I automatically push down because I'm so afraid of being anything but my ideal and and there's a whole, you know, defense mechanism that we've built around doing those things that's really, really difficult. It's really in the body. And I do a lot of somatic work with folks to try to just be with both of these elements because that's when things start to unlock. And you say, well, sure, I can be, well, first of all, I can bring depth to the mundane, which is this real gift of the four is to find beauty in every single moment without having to up the intensity or make it, you know, make it a hundred mile deep dive into a subject, I can kind of have this inherent sense of depth in anything I do. And that means I can do something that I thought was shallow and have it feel Mm -hmm. meaningful. But then there can be this addiction to like, everything has to have meaning, right? And, And fours can start to follow their emotional experience to an extreme and actually start creating more experiences just so they can have the emotional reactivity that they're used to because that feels intense and that is close enough for our personality to intimacy and depth without quite being the real thing. If you are an entrepreneur, business owner, self-employed, or otherwise working on building your own unique path towards financial health and creative freedom, I want to invite you to check out my new group program, Depth Entrepreneur Conservatory. I'm currently enrolling our first cohort and we kick off in April, 2022. This program supports business builders from the inside out. So working on the skills and applying the practices that help you break free from scarcity thinking and disrupt the old assumed ways of doing business 
that might be unintentionally perpetuating the model of scarcity capitalism. We'll be working with your business as an ecosystem where you are one of the most alive roots of that system. So rather than giving you one specific method or strategy for a generalized result, this is gonna be a more holistic business building program. There'll be teaching and coaching, working through the creative process of finding your own vision, values, and voice, and ultimately creating the results that are meaningful to you. We will discover, nurture, and expand your current resources so that you can create a sustainable, equitable, impactful business that models the world you wanna live in. So if you're intrigued, I encourage you to really take some time to read up on the program over at the website, depthentrepreneurconservatory.com. I'll link to that in the show notes for this episode. Should we talk about the five? Yeah, so we're moving now into the head center. I Usually up top I say that this system, so it's, it's nine types and it's broken into many different iterations of three. And I actually have my own podcast with a friend, the Enneagram Typecast, where we get into a lot of the triads. But we've got three centers of intelligence. So I just mentioned that we were in the heart center. That has to do with our relational value, with expectations of others, with the image that we put out, and with our kind of intuition around emotional needs. We're moving now into the head center, and then we'll go back into the body, which one was part of the body center as well. So the five in the head center is often called the observer or sometimes the investigator. And these folks are very concerned with being competent and gaining knowledge and looking into um, the specifics of reality and really wanting to know all the nitty gritty details to have enough information about things because that's how they relate to the world and they recognize that there's uh, so much going on under the surface and they want that too. So they are very afraid of being incompetent and they can have a lot of scarcity around not being smart enough or knowledgeable enough, not bringing their knowledge forth. So often they'll hang back and wait um, for a long time, maybe until they're invited in to share about what they know, or they'll go become like an ultimate expert in some area that nobody else has ever heard of. And that will kind of be the scarcity. Like I can never know enough and I need to be like the foremost person on this thing before I even feel like I have anything to say or contribute. And they really can develop also scarcity more in the general in the standard sense that we think about it around their time and energy and resources so they can feel like i don't know enough or i don't have enough and i need to keep getting more and more these types have a a, a strong awareness of their limited capacity which some of us mm-hmm. feel more limited in our capacity while others feel like me, oh, I have unlimited capacity and that, that can cause problems on either end. So they're very aware of that and they can kind of like hoard their own energy and resources a lot. They don't want to feel drained. Um, so they can have a scarcity story of like, people want too much from me or the world is too intrusive or they want more than I can give along with this. I don't know enough and I can't be that for I can't I can't give (laughs) and they also really Mm. appreciate privacy and having space 
for things so they often have a really active mind and can really enjoy playing with concepts and living in the mental world to the extreme where they can disconnect from the physical world and from their hearts and their bodies. It makes me think of, um, well, you know, I like to self-identify as a lifelong learner, and I know a lot of people who are like that, but I've also seen how that can turn into wanting to stay a perpetual student um, because, of course, being a student would, would satisfy that part that just wants to keep learning and learning, but it also keeps you from being in the position of authority, it keeps you in the position of receiving in a safe kind of container where you, like, and I've taken so many programs at this point in my life, and every program has this, like, pushing you out of the nest at the end where you're like, okay, now you have to go do the really hard stuff and actually step into your own authority and actually deliver this back to the world. And I definitely know that's a hard moment for a lot of folks, and I I can see how that would uh, this type might be, you know, those people that collect, like have so many great qualifications and know so many things, but hesitate to step into that. Yeah. And it's like they're denying themselves the wisdom that comes from taking action and having more experiences. And I know you've shared this with me often as a as an invitation of like, well, what more could you learn once you've done something? And then you can gather feedback and then use that skill of analyzing the information and of of picking it apart a little more specifically, but you have to take action before you have any data. It's such an unfortunate part of reality that we actually have to fail in order to learn like the competency. And that seems like that's also probably one of the big challenges in this type, because if failure is like an automatic, that means I'm not good enough, or that means I don't know enough, or what have you. It's like, actually, that's just part of every learning process. It's a given. Yeah, absolutely. And and fives feel so comfortable alone that it, it can be, they can really isolate themselves um, for in seeking that competence. Um, they also, so the, the quality here that we can invite in, the resource is that, that fives point to is a sense of non-attachment. So even though they're hoarding and they're wanting all that information, they actually have a sense that they can kind of like live without a lot of the things that many people really latch onto and hold. So like I said, mm-hmm. their their energy is kind of often more of where they become stingy is a word that sometimes gets used. But they can tend to be like very minimalists as well and let go and give space to things like get let things have breathing room and not be so attached to the outcome. It's more of the thrill of learning where that's why sometimes they don't take that step forward because they don't need the accolades or the results like a three might who also really values competency. But a five likes the thrill of learning, which again can be that trap as well. Awesome. Okay. I think that's really helpful. Yeah, thank you for sharing. So this is really in depth. I think people are going to resonate. Uh, you might it might end up like more people like me who are like, okay, I'm all the types. So <laughs> now I just need to go do a typing session with Karen to find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so let's hear about the the six. Yeah. So um, type six, also in the head center, right in the co- middle of the head center. So they are doing a lot of thinking, but sometimes their thinking isn't so helpful. Um, they get called the loyal skeptic or the loyalist a lot. And these folks are really concerned with safety and security. Um, And that can look like a lot of different things based on what brings you a sense of safety or security. So it could look like being really loyal in your relationships, um, in your you know, family relationships, work relationships, community relationships. It could look like being 
really um, protective at home and locking all the doors and being kind of kind of like overly uh, concerned with what could go wrong. And that's where their attention naturally goes is what could go wrong and then how do I be prepared? So they tend to have kind of a buzzy feeling to them. They can have a lot of anxiety. They might not even recognize it as anxiety as a lot of us don't really recognize what we do so habitually as anything that's even causing us any kind of problem. Um, but they're really afraid of uncertainty and unpredictability. And that can also go in a couple different directions. They can try to get ahead of it or even go toward what they fear as a way to kind of be like, you can't control me. I'm going to run up and jump in your face and I'm going to ask a million questions and I'm going to like get the scoop right up front. Um, but that's still being driven by the fear. Other sixes mm -hmm. might retreat more and be more um, outwardly fearful or notice their fear more of what they're concerned about and have a list of questions and concerns about every situation. But they're really imaginative folks who are using their imagination to look to the future and, and see what could go wrong. And so there's a lot of scarcity there we can see around like, yeah, there isn't a lot of certainty. And I think we're all getting hefty doses of that um, awareness mm -hmm. these days. And sometimes, you know, sixes feel comfortable in the chaos because they're prepared already. They're like, oh yeah, I already was prepared for the big earthquake. I was prepared for, you know, I had five gallons of, of water in my basement already. I already had all the toilet paper, you know, that could show mm -hmm. up. Um, so they might actually feel more comfortable when the baseline is a little more like crisis mode or they can fall into it just like the rest of us. And so they're really mm. lifting up like I am, I'm seeking truth and I'm seeking, seeking out the things that are going to protect me. So if I'm on your team, you better be on my team when it comes down to it. Mm. Yeah, I, I can see how this is sort of the classical presentation of the scarcity mindset in a way or when I think of it is I think of that type like the type that's really fixated on all the like this is going to go wrong and I've got to protect myself and I've got to stay in that kind of defend mode but I can also see how there's a adaptive non-scarcity oriented version of that that's very very helpful in society yeah, and the root and the, the higher qualities of the six is courage because it takes courage to just show up when things really could go wrong at any moment. And also a sense of, of trust and faith that, you know, I'm going to take the next step and we're going to take the next step from there. Yeah, I think a lot of sixes really do that. They kind of work with their patterns and they show up and they're extremely resilient and strong. And then others, you know, at other times you can get overrun just like mm -hmm. all of us with all this these thoughts of like, I can never get enough certainty. And also this sense of like looking outside of yourself for that trust is a, another theme here of like, well, I can't be safe on my own. And certainly there's some truth to the fact that we need each other and we need um, community and gifts of, of other people. Like we aren't really built to survive this world all on our own, but that gets expanded into this huge scarcity of like, I can't make a decision for myself. I can't do something that's going to upset somebody else because I have these loyalties over here and I have to navigate all these relationships or I'm a pillar in my community or whatever it is. And then it becomes like, oh my gosh, I have to consider so many things and it can be paralyzing. 
um, because there is mm-hmm. real, no, really no guarantee. What's coming to my mind is kind of um, conditional trust versus unconditional trust, which is something I've just been thinking about a lot lately because there is that question of, well, if you need to cultivate trust, and I've, I've been doing a lot of thinking and research on that, um, preparing to teach a workshop on self-trust, because I was like, what even is self-trust? Is that, I know that it's a thing we all want more of, but what I'm kind of learning about it is that it it cannot be conditional, right? Because that's when, like, oh, I can only trust the world if everyone I've ever met is on, completely honest with me, <laughs> then obviously that's not gonna happen, right? And obviously um, trust has to be about something bigger and more universal than that if you wanna have it. Yeah, like I trust I'll be able to deal with whatever happens. Yeah, that's a big, mm-hmm. um, th- a, ch- a challenge for me, I think, as, as well. And one of my lines connects to six. And I think it's, I like this idea of, there's this concept of basic trust that is, is similar. And it's just um, more about how we experienced uh, trust as infants and as early beings because we get really wired into, like, can I trust someone's going to pick me up and feed me and look at me and care for me and all these things? And certainly things can happen anywhere in our journey that kind of disrupts that and dysregulates us. And we are so wired for connection um, that it can be it can be a lot to resolve when we start to recognize, oh, where was that point where I missed out? And fortunately, in my understanding, <laughs> more and more as I get into the somatic work, we don't have to intellectually like remember or understand what was happening and who was involved and replay it. But cultivating that sense of that unconditional or basic trust in our bodies can actually really reinforce mm. this resilience and this uh, ability to be adaptable, which is what we're ultimately trying to not lock ourselves too much into any one of these mindsets so that we can be responsive to what's actually here now. Totally. Mm, I love it. Let's find out about the number seven. Yeah. Type seven, um, it's called the enthusiast or the epicure sometimes, and mm. they are really interested in positive possibilities in the future and they pay close attention to like what exciting thing is going to come next what can i do to they're real up regulators so we talk just we're talking about our nervous systems you know sometimes we need to like get our bodies moving sevens are often the ones who are bringing that energy to the spaces or just in themselves they're um in this mental center, having lots of ideas and um, exciting adventures they'll plan. It's not enough for a seven to just think about what they want to do. They want to go do it and experience all that life has to offer. So they're really feeling drawn to like the joyful things in life and just like, like sevens are the ones who go to the buffet and they want everything uh, that they Mm. on their plate. And so, um, and that, is how they treat life too. So they want a sampling platter often. They'll jump around to many different jobs and experiences. Their core uh, desire and and idealization is like, I'm okay, let's just keep moving. <laughs> let's just keep mm, having see, fun. See, now you're describing me again, Karen. Now I'm a seven. <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to have to figure out what I really, where I really land here. That's great to see ourselves in all the types because then we can work with all of these mindsets and see where do we where do they show mm. up for me and um certainly i mean i've found real value in in knowing my core type because i start to see ooh, how is it really in my body or in like almost every moment but 
I also, you know, as we as we are more and more regulated, we can visit these spaces more easily and work with them. So that's great. But they're really, yeah, the sevens are really um, avoiding pain, suffering, and limitation. So getting trapped mm-hmm. is, a, is a fear. And they kind of like a four. So, f- so fours are doing this emotionally where they want the creativity and they don't want to think linearly. And they, they kind of allow themselves to be pulled down into the depths of emotion. Sevens are mm-hmm. doing this mentally where they will go up and out and they want adventure and excitement and they want to think about all the things and they they certainly feel a lot of things but they don't want to pause on any of the pain. They want to skip it. Mm. Um, they want to keep moving forward. They want to keep bringing people up. They want to light people up. So they can feel this real responsibility that gets into a scarcity place to be the joyful person, to be upbeat in any situation mm. that they enter and they people you know we t- tend to train people how to what to expect of us so people really do tend to look to us for the thing that we're bringing but we're never gonna we're not gonna be able to do that all of the time but so sevens are constantly feeling and, and part of why they feel like they have to do that and have to push toward this optimism and like things are gonna get better things are things are on their way up the, the, the next thing the next thing is gonna get me there they feel that because of course there's that shadow element of like it's not okay if the next thing doesn't work out or i won't be okay Mm -hmm. if i have to actually feel the grief or the pain of the things that i'm trying to leave behind in the past because i didn't want them to trap me and and get me stuck there yeah it sounds like um as i'm i guess getting in touch with the part of the type seven that i resonate with it seems like another another also presentation of scarcity mindset could be FOMO, right? The fear of missing out, which I know for me when I'm in that mode of like, I want to do all the things and taste all the things and try all the things. And because we innately can't possibly do that in one lifetime, there's always a sense of like, well, so-and-so got to go to Bali and I haven't been to Bali and now I wish, you know, I'm missing out on that experience. Would you say that's an accurate oh, part of 100%. their scarcity? You're so intuitive that that's, FOMO is 100% ascribed to <laughs> type 7 often, where it's this yeah. real, and fear is the core emotion here. The reason that 7's like creating options, which is what they're doing, is because they're afraid of, of pausing and slowing down. And unfortunately, some of what can happen in a, in, in a lifespan of somebody living in this way is they get forced to slow down because they're not listening to their mm-hmm. body or they're not really responding to the cues because they're so afraid of being trapped that un- like often there'll be an injury or there will be a situation. And I really have noticed this time and time again that life brings us these opportunities um, to mm-hmm. slow down. And then if we don't take them, you know, they get louder and louder if that's what we're really needing. I will say my favorite part of the pandemic, if we (laughs) see this is my optimistic seven, my favorite part of this global pandemic for the last two years is that it maybe temporarily or maybe long term um, healed my FOMO because what I actually needed is I needed everybody literally in the world to stop doing cool things for a while so that I could give myself permission to like also slow down and stop and be still and know that I wasn't going to like miss out and fall behind. And that is exactly basically what happened, right? I mean, of course, some people still are doing things, but 
it just feels like um, it totally interrupted the FOMO pattern. And that's kind of one of, I think, the beneficial de developments here that we might even be able to maintain. Because now I think when you do slow down, you start to find the richness inside of that. And you're like, oh, there's, I'm, I'm, I'm now really happily practicing the JOMO, right? The joy of missing out. <laughs> I'm actually, in, I really know how to do that now. So yeah, totally. And I, I think I know some sevens who really, really struggled in the pandemic because that drive is so strong to push through and the core, both the, the resource and the, the quality here is freedom. And yet, when we are when we're leading with a certain type we're distorting this essential quality so you'll you know we've seen a lot of people really fighting for their freedom of like oh i have the freedom not to wear a mask i have a freedom not to be told what to do you know all these ways that there can be a distortion of what freedom really means whereas mm -hmm. what freedom really is pointing to is just that like what's happening is not conditional like when we're when i'm really being like I'm I'm free and my own patterning is often what is keeping me stuck and I think for sevens yes saying no can feel like it's impinging on their freedom but when I work with sevens and I have some wonderful sevens in my work and in my life they say oh it's so freeing when I get to say no to the things that I didn't actually really want to do but then I heard about them and they felt exciting in that moment and I got all upregulated about it but it wasn't mm -hmm. I wasn't actually free to listen to what do I need in this moment is this really for me can I let people do it without needing to be in the middle of the action yeah totally I know like in my former life of go 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 seven action saying yes to everything I'm very familiar with how that can lead to so much depletion and true scarcity, like you just really don't have enough time or bandwidth or money or energy because you've just dispersed it into so many different places that it is stressful, right? And it takes up, it, it kind of keeps you trapped in scarcity in a way. Yeah, a lot of sevens will like spend a ton of money on like a new project that they're so sure is going to be something they're going to stick with. And yet it's like, you know, goes on the shelf with, with everything else. And yeah, they can end up feeling so exhausted and so depleted and you know i try to give everybody the dignity of their own path and their own lessons and unless you know they're explicitly coming to me to work with these things and sometimes we have to get our lessons that way okay two more let's do it okay so next up is the type eight and type eight gets called the the protector or the challenger or sometimes the leader, um, though any type can lead. Um, but mm -hmm. eights are really uh, concerned with power and justice, and they are um, very attuned to the their own strength, the strength of others, the strength of things in general, and the vitality of life and a sense of aliveness. And so they're they're embracing powerful things, the things that to them feel energizing and powerful and they're pushing down their weakness or vulnerability um, and we're all you know when I'm naming what we're avoiding or what we're pushing down this is that that's the vulnerability the core vulnerability of each type it's it's more specifically about actual strength whatever that means to you so it could be mm. you know physical strength it could be 
you know, strength of not showing your emotions, you know, often because our hearts are so vulnerable and where we tend to have the most damage done, uh, can fiercely protect them. So they have this sense that the world is hard. You have to struggle. And there's a real mentality here around struggle. It's actually one of the most difficult things for AIDS to put down as they're doing their work is, and I've heard the movie Gladiator, like that uh, my teacher was saying, like AIDS will cry at the end of that movie because it's the end of struggle. And it's like really, really difficult to release when you believe the world is hard, it's unjust, people might be out to get you, everyone needs to be powerful for themselves. And they are, similar to the seven but a little bit of a different quality because now we're in the body center which is this real felt sense of vitality and aliveness eights are lusting after life and they do things to excess and push limits almost because it feels good to bump up against those limits and to think i'm basically immortal it can be the sense when I refuse to uh, allow my vulnerability and I'm only strong I can feel like I could withstand anything and if you can't that's your problem and there's a lot mm. of this sense with AIDS of like you know you better you should just learn to not be so weak uh, which can be really yeah. difficult for others to manage but AIDS don't see it that way they see this vitality that's available and the power that comes with just being alive and they want everybody to be fully alive so it is not enough for them for you to just like show up and be kind and sweet they want to, you to be direct they want you to own your power and they actually sometimes need you to meet them there if you're going to be able to get through to them they need to feel like you respect their power and that you can get big like they they you can often tell when an eight walks into a room because they're sizing everyone up and they have a lot of just like energy in their body they are feeling like i have to be strong they especially for the people in their immediate circle they're kind of most in touch with like the animalistic nature of humans which we all have that human animal but they're they've got their people that they will protect with their lives there's kind of this like mama bear energy and but then of course they feel like they have to keep doing that they feel like they have to do it all the time they feel like that's their role if we were to get into the eight scarcity would it be like an, i'm not strong enough because you can never be strong enough if you have to be strong all the time yeah i think for eights often it's like you're not strong enough um mm. you know <laughs> it's the same thing really and it can feel the opposite as well. Eights probably won't show you if that's their, their scarcity mindset, that they're not strong enough. They'll just get real big and try to be strong enough. Um, mm -hmm. But it can often come across as like, also that the world is cruel. There's a real sense here of like, mm -hmm. nobody cares. I'm out for myself. Right. I see how it's like it shows up in that competitive drive, which I always identify as like that is the societal scarcity mindset, right? The the assumption that there isn't going to be enough for everyone. So you have to race to the top and take as much as you can get while you're there, because since there's not enough for everyone anyway, like you may as well be the big winner or something like that. Yeah. Is that accurate? Totally. Yeah. I think I think threes do it in a different way. Um, So threes do it in kind of like a sneaky way, like I'll... I'll lie and I'll cheat and I'll just to just to be the 
the golden one, the one on top, because for my image. Whereas eights, yeah, it's it's more of this like brute strength, like I will fight for what I need. And also, I feel like I'm a bottomless pit of of desire for more life. So I'm always going to be wanting more. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, more doing is also really common, like getting the job done. If there's an agenda, if I have an agenda as an eight, I will get that thing done. And doesn't really mm-hmm. matter what's in the way that eight has this ability to objectify both themselves as an object of strength and others mm-hmm. as things that are in my way between what I want and what I'm <laughs> and what I'm and me. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna get it. And it, it's kind of like war games. You can think about this, um, you know, I don't have a lot of this energy, so it doesn't make a ton of sense to me, but it's kind of like seeing the world as a chessboard and who are the pawns and what, what needs to get sacrificed. And it doesn't matter because there's this service to larger like power. What I hear is that eights could really become fascists pretty easily. A lot of fascists are eights, yes. (laughs) Yeah, like power over. But like I always think of it as like it's also the essence of democracy in my mind is for everyone to be empowered and know their power. And that like if you actually believe that everyone has power in them, which is also part of what I hear you saying about the eights and maybe they're more compassionate state that they might look around and say hey I know you have more power and more strength than you're showing me right now and I want to support you in bringing it forward because that's actually how we're going to be able to be in a democracy together in a thriving way absolutely yeah and they certainly do and they can really um especially for people who have been through similar things that they as they have they've got these ooey gooey hearts on the inside these eight so they're really protecting that and especially when they've been hurt and they kind of believe they're going to be betrayed and all of that they it can harden but doing presence work and and um getting more in touch with the bringing this to consciousness absolutely eights want you to come alive they want you to um and and the virtue we talk about here is called innocence and it's this idea of like mm-hmm. seeing the world anew in every moment and it's this the sweetness and the innocence of like wait, I don't have to carry grudges or believe that I have to be on top. Like what is here now is delightful, and you'll see these eights mm. also who like th- they like are can be like big strong people or they d- they can look like all sorts of ways, but they'll have this real playful inner child like can be like really into you know having action figures or like my little ponies or something like very sweet and childlike and I feel like I've have known eights with this like giggle where they'll be tough and walking around all strong and then they'll just like something will just tickle them and they giggle and it's like this huge heart opening and it's really difficult because um, when they're going around objectifying things we don't get to see them um, for who they are, and, and they don't have to get to see the nuance of, of the vulnerability and strength that we're all kind of carrying around. Thank you for, I think this is really great and very detailed. I think people are going to resonate with a lot of it. Let's. So I guess we have one more type to get into. Yeah, it's my type. The last one is type nine, um, the mediator or the peacemaker, it often gets called. But type nines uh, have this desire to really be welcoming of all people to be peaceful and to be open um, and accepting 
of everything that that comes across their way so they really want to be seen as laid back and um, just like going with the flow um, I think a good example to look to here is uh, the dude from the Big Lebowski it's like mm -hmm. all this stuff is going on and it's like well let's just slow down and I'm gonna grab my drink and I'm just gonna figure it all out and it's this way of slowing things down but there's a real sense of control here um, of trying to make sure that the environment is the way that I want it um, and that the people around me are feeling accepted enough to like mellow out and not be so reactive and there's this kind of quality of you know, where it comes from actually is the nine having a sense that we're all connected in a lot of ways but also at the same time wanting to be unaffected by everybody else and what the nine does is is forgets themselves so they take themselves out of the equation they make a lot of space for everybody else to have opinions and needs and things that they want to do and it can feel really natural for a nine to just be like i don't care that whatever will work for me because it's more the sense that like if everyone else is okay then i'll be okay and the scarcity, of course, can come in here of, of feeling like I'm not important enough. And sometimes it's conscious, um, but often it's not. It's just, well, it doesn't matter to me. Let's let the bigger personalities take over or I, it's not worth fighting about. Let's just keep things calm. And so when you're just on the surface of this, playing this pattern out, it's a self-deletion and this real, yeah, this sense of like, well, what I want isn't that important or even to the extreme of like I don't even think I know what I want and the mm -hmm. struggle here is like action and inaction and this sense of well I don't want to have to do all these things that are going to create tension and conflict and I don't right. want to have to move forward if it's going to hurt somebody or if I'm going to be taking up more room than I than I should and the lesson here is you are equally as deserving of your role and it's actually very important that you play your exact role that you're here to play right. but so many of us i think uh, oh, i heard the term we feign confusion and <laughs> uh, this is andrea mm -hmm. brought this term forth and it was like oh gosh we feign confusion because we don't want to upset the balance we don't even want to know what our dharma is we don't even want to know what's ours to do because what if it creates a ripple effect that, that's full of tension and that separates me from people I love or separates me from feeling like I'm in the flow of things, which when taken to the extreme can be a resignation. Like I'm resigned to whatever comes across my plate I'll deal with is very different than saying whatever's here belongs and I will act on it. And so that's mm -hmm. kind of the resource for the nine is recognizing that everything, there's a harmony to everything. There's a note that each person and thing is playing and we want to honor each of them, including our own. So we can't remove ourselves from the symphony and still have it be complete, but nines will do that. They'll kind of fade away or they'll um, unfortunately treat others like they don't matter uh, without realizing because they think they don't matter. You know, we can get large scale existential here too of like, people don't matter that much. We're just gonna be a blip in, in time and it can get pretty dark. <laughs>
Oh, yeah. So it's kind of like maybe one of the sources of spiritual bypassing or kind of saying, well, like if, you know, yeah, we because I can see how if you're really driven by essentially conflict avoidance, right, and pretty much every thing that you would want to manifest or actualize in the world or care about or advocate for is going to bring you into conflict with something else, then it's easier to say, oh, we're just a little, we're just little specks of dust and, you know, climate change, it's terrible, but you know, like, what are you, yeah, what are you going to do? It's too, too much conflict if I care too much about it. Yeah. Or like, yeah, we don't, it doesn't matter what happens or it's already fine we're all one everything's good it's just it's gonna work itself out there's that removal of that responsibility and the willingness to show up and be yourself yeah it's funny because when I first read that a book about the Enneagram I remember distinctly being like well the type nine is not what I am <laughs> like I definitely I started by process of elimination I was like I'm not the peacemaker um, which, of course, I can still resonate with some of what you're saying. And I also, but what I do remember is that it really helped me have perspective on other people in my life who definitely are type nines, where I was like, oh, that's why they act that way, or that's why they respond in that way that's very foreign and strange to me, where I would think you would yeah, lean into the like, but yeah, the real talk and the like, let's actually distinguish who we are and like, let's, you know, but so it, it helped me to understand some of the people in my life a little bit better which I imagine that's one of the things Enneagram is a really useful tool for. Absolutely. And knowing that there's this kind of, that these refrains running on repeat in people's psyches that they may or may not be aware of being, and I think, yeah, with a lot of, um, a lot of nines actually think they're fours, um, but fours don't often think they're nines, which is interesting uh, because fours are all about specificity. Let's get even more and more and more specific who am I exactly? And nines kind of blur everything together and they're like, well, let's get really fuzzy and make it really hard to tell who I am, but I'm also everything. And yeah, that fits. And, you know, often nines will see themselves in, in all the types um, as well. But yeah, having compassion for like why people might be behaving in a certain way, might why they might be treating others in a certain way. And I think one of the, the core pieces here and with the scarcity myth that you talk so much about as well is when I'm having this scarcity story, I'm also usually projecting that onto my life and my surroundings and the people around me, thinking, why wouldn't you want more, right? Or why wouldn't you be more of this way? And it, like you're saying, it, it doesn't make sense coming from our own perspective why people would be doing that until we start to understand the stories that are going on. If people wanted to learn more about this or if they wanted to connect with you, do you want to share a little bit about how they would um, yeah, connect with your resources? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can find me at karenburley.com as my website, and I and I do type discovery with folks. So if you have a sense of your type or you want to know your type more, we can do a whole exploration that I'll, I'll guide you through. Um, I also coach people um, sometimes explicitly with the language of the Enneagram if that's what they're asking for. And yeah, you can find more about out about me on my website well thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge with us today and yeah i look forward to seeing how your business and all your offerings evolve this year thanks so much kate take care thanks for listening to today's episode of the space beyond scarce 
If you enjoyed this episode, please go over to Apple iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and review. It really helps out a new podcaster. Thank you.